Here's today's reminder. If your church is going to grow, you have to equip your leaders. But how do you do this? How do you empower the leaders at your church to lead well? Join us at equiplab.com backslash church leaders. We're here to equip your ministry team to thrive. Just go to equiplab.com backslash church leaders and join us today. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and in this four-part series, we'll explore how the church can pursue true racial reconciliation. Now, race is a conversation that is often fraught with difficulty. Even where we recognize trends and what different communities believe, people are complex and have differing perspectives within those communities. Nevertheless, as Christ followers, we believe that Jesus is the ultimate source of truth, justice, and redemption. Working from that foundation, we're inviting trusted ministry leaders into conversation with us so that we can listen to and learn from them on this important subject. Some of the questions we explore are, how can believers pursue gospel-centered racial reconciliation, and what gets in the way of that pursuit? And what are the practical steps church leaders can take to address racial divides? While a podcast series can only begin to scratch the surface of this complex topic, we hope you'll find our series to be thought-provoking, encouraging, and informative. And now, on to this week's special guest. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Raymond Chang is a pastor, writer, and the president and co-founder of the Asian American Christian Collaborative. He regularly preaches God's word and speaks throughout the country on issues pertaining to Christianity and culture, race, and faith. He's lived throughout the world and currently lives in Chicagoland, where he serves as a campus minister at Wheaton College. In this episode, Ray and I discuss racism from the Asian American perspective. Ray highlights the different types of racism often experienced by Asian Americans and shares thoughts on justice fatigue and the opportunities and responsibilities of the local church. It's such an insightful conversation. You'll want to share it with your ministry leaders and your colleagues. So now let's dive into my conversation with Raymond Chang. Ray, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, Jason. Uh, now, Ray, you've lived in a number of countries. Um, you've been involved in a variety of roles, a variety of projects. Can you just start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so uh, my name is Ray, uh, Raymond uh, Chang, and uh, I serve as the president of the Asian American Christian Collaborative, uh, which is an organization that's by, for, and about Asian American Christians to to really promote a whole life discipleship uh, and, and help people understand Asian American identity, Asian American Christian identity, and then to understand the experiences of Asian Americans more broadly. Uh, I also serve as a campus pastor at Wheaton College in Illinois. And so um, I get to kind of lead our discipleship efforts there, uh, overseeing our small group ministries, uh, our I, I preaching in chapel, and then of course, uh, having pastoral conversations um, and then um, born and raised in, in the Chicagoland, uh, lived all over the world. I have uh, you know, traveled to almost or maybe even over 50 countries by now, uh, and then uh, both in and out of vocational ministry. Uh, I, I worked in a nonprofit, worked in for-profit, 
Um, and then uh, currently now I'm in, in, in Christian higher education. Yeah, that's excellent, Ray. And I love to see how um, God takes us on journeys, gives us different experiences, and um, puts us in different roles, but always seems like, uh, obviously, he knows what he's doing for every season of our life and how he takes our experiences um, and really enrich um, every new season, right? And so here you are, as you said, um, in higher education uh, there at Wheaton, um, campus campus pastor and, and the opportunities you have there. I imagine that the things that you have, have seen around the world, uh, different cultures and, and the different uh, roles that you've played, um, have, have a unique way of informing your work on a college campus, a, a Christian college campus. I, I would like to ask you, you started, as you mentioned, the Asian American Christian Collaborative. So could you tell us you described a bit about it, but could you tell us why uh, why did you start um, the, this particular organization? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think the, the, for years, people have been asking if I'd be interested in starting something for Asian Americans or uh, saying something specific about like, why, why is there no space for Asian American Christians to really gather, tell, your, tell our stories, to, to really kind of be heard and be seen and be known? And... Um, over time, I, because of the ways that uh, Asian Americans are racialized, which is primarily to either be invisible or excluded, um, you know, we're oftentimes invisible in plain sight. And so my, I kind of kicked it down, I kicked the can down the road and saying, it'd be hard to start something for Asian American Christians now, mostly because it'd be difficult to gain the type of traction that we need to make a kind of a broader and widespread impact. Um, well, fast forward to uh, the pandemic and then the rising rhetoric around the coronavirus being called Kung Flu, China Flu, uh, China virus. And then um, that rhetoric trickling down from the mouths of uh, kind of our nation's leaders into the mouths of the people in the pews and um, and the leaders at the, in the pulpits of, uh, of, of our churches. And... And then, we, and, and so one of the things that we saw is that uh, the same attitudes, xenophobic uh, or anti-Asian attitudes that we started seeing uh, more broadly in society started to emerge within our congregations and congregations where Asian Americans were present uh, and in congregations where Asian Americans weren't present. And so uh, a few of us started talking uh, about uh, kind of the rising concerns uh, and the violence against Asian Americans. This was about March in 2020. And... And we wanted to try to get ahead of the curve and say, you know, if there's a way that the church could lead uh, to combat, you know, anti-Asian uh, hate, anti-Asian violence, um, maybe this is, you know, that's something that we can do to kind of support the community. And so we drafted a statement um, and then uh, released it. That got in the first month over 10,000 signatures. And we heard pastors from small churches to large churches to actually take the language that we use and share it from their pulpits. And we were really encouraged by that. And we got a, a broad uh, kind of a endorsement and a, a broad coalition of people from uh, kind of a variety of the, of the uh, from the entire basically theological spectrum of kind of Western Christianity and and we thought this might be the time to start something and so we started an organization and and since then we have been trying to find ways to um increase awareness about asian american issues broadly uh help people navigate asian american christian identity and then help kind of the 
the broader church and the broader society see the kind of see the see the people that are in their midst, uh, like Asian Americans and Asian American Christians, and to and to allow our contributions to be offered to the to the to the broader kind of community. And so, what one of the things I've been really grateful for is, in addition to being able to partner with um, with others, including African American leaders and pastors. Uh, and then Latino leaders and pastors and, and indigenous leaders and pastors and white leaders and pastors, um, you know, not only are we kind of helping elevate an, an awareness around Asian American issues and Asian American Christian issues and, and Asian American Christian identity, but also um, to help build bridges and, and to reconcile the divides that, that race and racialization has caused and created. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, be a kind of a light to the world. And so I've been really kind of surprised and encouraged by the fact that non-Christians have been reaching out to us for insight and wisdom on a variety of issues, including uh, local and, and national kind of leaders from, the, from, from, the, from a variety of governments uh, throughout the United States. Uh, as well as uh, Fortune kind of 500 companies uh, reaching out to our team for insight. And so it, what, what's mostly surprising to, has been surprising to me is that, you know, we have Christian in our name. So the Asian American Christian <laughs> Collaborative. And there are other organizations that are doing good work from a non-Christian perspective. But for me, I'm like encouraged that, you know, that people would reach out to us knowing that we are Christians, that they're seeing our word and our deed that they're seeing our commitment to Christ and are still willing to invite us in. And that, that's something that I'm not, you don't often see in this world anymore because Christians are oftentimes viewed as being on the wrong side of things or, or kind of being on the bigoted side of things. And so we're, we're trying to change that narrative uh, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christian witness. Uh, and we've been encouraged by that. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I certainly appreciate uh, what you're doing. Um, uh, especially that that idea, like you said, of of having the opportunity to be a light, um, not not only within the church, and, and to provide some encouragement and some direction and some opportunities for people to think through things, right? But also outside of the church. And like you said, we need, we, you know, uh, I just pray that we see more of that um, happening uh, because we have the opportunity to influence culture and. Um, and in, in some ways, as you said, uh, we've been sidelined to a degree. Uh, you know, people are, are, are relatively dismissive in, in many, uh, many arenas. They're dismissive of a Christian uh, voice um, about, about anything. So that's awesome to hear. Now, there's, there's a lot, um, obviously, that you have going on. So I want to I back up a little bit um, to, to talk a little more about that statement that you guys released um, on Asian American uh, racism. Yeah. And uh, when you released that statement, you said that you received good response. Um, you had over 10,000 people, you know, sign off to, um, you know, in, in kind of agree agreement with the statement, right? What, what has the um, ongoing kind of response been as you've come, as you've come out of that? Did you see that as a, um, you know, something that obviously was valuable and important to address? Um, but has has that continued? Has there been continued conversation around that, or was that something that was like in the heat of the of the pandemic? You know, what I mean, it was a it was something, and now we we've moved beyond it. You know, what are you sensing, and what are the responses? Yeah, so I mean, unfortunately, um, 
the the violence and hate uh, against anti against Asians um, only increased uh, over time. And our hope is that you know we might have curbed some of the violence through the work that we're doing, and you know other organizations would have curbed some of the violence that through through the work that they were doing, whether they're Christian or not, because you know. Whether you're Christian or not, you should be standing against all forms of hate, right? All forms mm-hmm. of racism. Like that's just that's just. I mean, I think we just kind of, you know, like all understand that you know, racism is just a a a, a dirty way of uh, labeling and objectifying people in in ways that categorizes them as superior or inferior. Um, when we wrote the statement, there were just over a thousand kind of reports of anti-Asian hate. I think as of, uh, you know, the, as of March of 2021, there were over 6,600. Mm. Um, we saw a kind of a ramping up of, uh, of like more harsh violence and more kind of significant violence to the point where multiple people were killed. Um, and then of course, uh, we saw in in March, um, March and April, like the 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 rise of um, uh, the 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 the, uh, the the Atlanta shootings that took place, uh, where right. eight people were killed uh, and uh, six of whom were Asian women, and um, and that was really like a an awakening moment for I think the Asian Americans who were kind of on the sidelines wondering if. Um, if if the violence was you know as as significant uh, as as it seemed to be, it it was almost like this kind of collective uh, national uh, awareness and awakening that 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 I think uh, just kind of took over all all the Asian American communities that I've been in community in contact with. Uh, where, especially if you're an Asian American woman, uh, you saw a lot of the logics that the the shooter, who was a Christian, right, who was who's raised in a church, um, and and the ways that that he was thinking about temptation and sexual temptation and lust, um, how they have experienced echoes of that in their own lives, and so Asian American women all throughout the country felt this deeply within their bones. Um, and, you know, Asian Americans broadly felt it similarly too. I mean, to the point where I, I think I cried, I don't know, four or five times in that week. And, you know, it, I, I hadn't bawled like that in so long. Mm. Um, and the only word I could use was that everyone's reeling, you know, everyone's reeling. Right. And so the, the violence had increased, uh, and, and we're still seeing lots of violence take place now, um, as with any type of issue surrounding justice, people just get tired of it, especially if they're not, people get tired of talking about it, especially if they're not the recipients of injustice, right? And so um, that, that's, I think that's, a, that's an area of concern that I have is that, you know, this, this whole idea of justice fatigue starts settling in. Uh, and one of the things I remind Christians is that, you know, like if you're, if, if you have justice fatigue, you're probably, you're also experiencing a Jesus fatigue because Jesus was, uh, you know, it was the embodiment of perfect justice. And through his cross, you saw uh, the ultimate act of justice take place. And so um, don't get fatigued by justice, especially if the justice doesn't impact you, um, you know, press into it more and, and, and find ways to sustain the conversation, sustain the effort to combat it. But sadly, we, we've, we've only seen the, the, 
the the anti-Asian racism increased, the anti-Asian violence increased. And um, I think uh, one of the things that we need to do is continue to uh, to work to address it. Uh, fortunately, we've seen more efforts to to talk about it and and to combat it. And so there's there's also that as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that's definitely, um, you know, the the awareness has been raised. I think um, to a great degree, and unfortunately, some of the awareness was was raised as as you said with Atlanta shooting and, and those types types of things. Um, I do want to touch touch on that tragedy um, quickly because you'd mentioned you know the the person who who did the shooting, perpetrated that crime, uh, murdered the the those women, was you know claimed to be a Christian claim to be part of a church, you know, and, and that was part of the, you know, obviously wrestling. When an event like that happens, regardless if it's, you know, against the Asian American community or or just generally, you know, a tragedy like that happens, as as a pastor, as a ministry leader yourself, whenever there's a, a, a tie like that to the church, because that's something that obviously, you know, comes out on the media, and it's just a, you know, it's, it's a challenge for you know, we're, we're talking to, to pastors of local churches and ministry leaders are listening in right now. Uh, Ray, what recommendation would you have when a tragedy like that occurs? Um, how do we as the church uh, best respond to those types of tragedies? Yeah, so I think to Christian leaders and people who shepherd their flock, you know, you have a different role than maybe the average congregant does, right? Because they're looking to you for care. They're looking to you for guidance and protection, even um, not just theological protection, but like a true, like spiritual protection, which is an embodied protection. It's one that doesn't just care for their souls; they care for you know the whole of their beings. And so, I, I think you know, there's there's two types of kind of communities that we can talk to. One is the average congregant, and then one is to the leader, but we'll focus more on the leader here. I think for the leader, uh, reaching out immediately is helpful. And then creating space that people can either enter into or giving options for you to uh, kind of offer yourself as a, uh, as a person who's available um, so that if they want you to enter into their space, whether it's the emotional space, a mental space, uh, you know, or even a like a like a like a physical space in the same room, uh, that's important to do. Um, I think the ministry of availability is significant, right? And so, making yourself available, either by saying, okay, you know, like from five o'clock p.m. to ten p.m. tomorrow, I will be available. You know, stop by the church office, and then you know, please, I'll, I'd be happy to sit with you we'll provide you with a meal we'll pray together you know just let's just grieve together let's lament together let's you know let's let's call out to god together i think there's 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 a comfort in that um i think there's also comfort in convening a group together so not just providing individual pastoral care but convening a space where or, or opening up a space where multiple people can gather so that they can kind of share and process and grieve uh, with one another, and you are there to kind of pray alongside them, to listen, uh, not necessarily dominate the conversation, but to provide some words of comfort where it's appropriate. Uh, I don't think that that's done enough, right? Like one of the things that, I, especially working with college students, is that they almost want an immediate response. They want a thoughtful response, and they understand if the situations are so complicated that it takes some time to craft like a, a, a very deep and robust and nuanced response when 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 the circumstances are challenging. 
but they want some form of acknowledgement because the way that racial trauma works or racial pain works is that it's not an individual thing. It's not just like me experiencing racism. It's not just me, like someone using racial slurs against me. It's me having experienced some of that, but also seeing that the things that happen outside of like my own life or my own community can easily happen to me. And then knowing that there are family members or friends of mine that have shared experiences, seeing that, that how much it's grieving them, it does start weighing on your own kind of soul and it starts kind of adding pressure and weight onto your own physical body. And so, um, so knowing that what happens out there actually impacts the person or the people within your uh, within your care is, re- is a really important thing to understand that I don't know if enough people understand it, right? I think that when we hear about the persecution of Christians, right, as Christians, uh, as Christians here in the United States, there is a part of us that just is, that, that just our hearts go out to them, our, our souls react, and we understand uh, deeply how that impacts us because like i i grieve whenever i hear that christians are persecuted around the world so the same thing happens along racial lines right that same sort of like collective pain transfers over to the people within your pews and 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 in your congregations and so um knowing that people are oftentimes looking for at the very minimum a pastoral prayer and that's the lowest hanging fruit. Like that doesn't even require that much effort. Like it costs you nothing to do that. Um, but if you want to be thoughtful and actually go forward, I mean, don't just pray for the people that that were victimized or hurt in the process, um, but also give people a better vision from what the scriptures are saying and call people out of kind of these views where we become we are complacent or apathetic towards uh towards racist events that take take place all over the world yeah that that's that's incredibly helpful Uh, and i love the um that you talked about you know drawing that that connection between how we might think of persecuted christ followers around the world because i think that really brings it home especially to to those like me who aren't necessarily in a minority group right so um so to kind of think through that you know that pain and that heaviness that we sense and feel when brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing that helps drive it home i think for so many people because it's a bigger like you said it's not just something happening to me and oftentimes when it's not happening to to me, it's happening to someone else. I can I can just think of it as oh, something happening to them or something happening. You know, or even you see a news story. Oh, that's something that that person experienced. But to think of kind of the collective burden and heaviness, I think is very helpful, Ray. So thank you for that. One of the things you mentioned earlier um, that I'd like to touch on is uh, you, you mentioned that a lot of the racism um, against Asian Americans relates to a sense of invisibility or exclusion. Um, and, and I think this this is a really interesting um, you know piece of this conversation because because you have that, um, but what, as we've just been discussing, has been bubbling up in the news is the the racism that we're kind of probably most accustomed to, and that is violence against someone um, of another race or you know or you know some some sort of um, uh, external outward uh, attack or whatever against someone. You know, that that's oftentimes when we think of racism, we're thinking of that. And yet, as you've shared, that a lot of racism 
and the Asian American community is this um, it, it's not necessarily you know a big external violent or whatever it's it's more of this invisibility it's more of this um, something that that people don't recognize as readily as they might recognize other acts um, of racism so can you talk a little bit about and kind of help us understand um, you know what you mean by that, that sense of invisibility and and how that impacts you know Asian Americans yeah I, I, I do want to say I think that it's important to first let people know who are listening and that the, the term Asian American is not a perfect term right it's it's, it's a really complex term because you know you're, you're talking about dozens of nationalities, dozens of ethnicities, dozens of languages, all represented within kind of the term Asia. Um, and then, you know, transported into the American experience. It's like the Asian American identity is not a monolithic identity. It's, it, it spans languages, uh, cultures, ethnicities, experiences, histories of immigration, um, histories of, uh, of navigating kind of American life, right? And so, um, you know, like there's a very different experience if you come to the United States as a refugee versus a like a, 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 an immigrant here for you know for business reasons or for for study, and all those things kind of shape your experience in navigating this in, in navigating kind of like this landscape. Um, the other piece I want to highlight is that um, it, it, the, the the violence against Asian Americans is not new historically. Uh, Asian Americans have experienced significant violence. I mean, from one of the largest lynchings in the history of the United States in, in late 1800s to take place against Chinese people, where a tenth of Los Angeles descended on a tenth of the Chinese population and then lynched them. 17 to 20 people were, were killed. And that was when Los Angeles was a tiny kind of population. Uh, in, in Chinatown, like you, you've seen that there has there's been a significant amount of violence that takes place against Asians. You know, Vincent Chin in 1982, you know, he he was minding his own business at, at his own bachelor parties, uh, celebrating you know what would be a happy day, you know, you know, upcoming uh, marriage, and uh, because it was at the at the kind of the peak of the the downturn on uh, where for American auto of of the American auto industry. Vincent, who was Chinese, was was mis kind of perceived to be Japanese, and there was this massive anti-Japanese sentiment that took over. and um, And these two two white auto workers uh, looked at him, started taunting him, started calling him Japanese slurs, and then eventually uh, bludgeoned him to death outside of uh, of the establishment. And then I think he died a few days later. And so. Um, so violence against Asians is not new. Uh, even throughout the pandemic, we've been seeing, you know, everyone, some, people getting slashed with a box cutter, uh, you know, people are elderly getting shoved, um, elderly women uh, getting drop kicked at bus stops, um, uh, someone getting stomped in the, kicked down and then stomped in the head. Uh, someone shortly after Atlanta, a, a friend of mine is a pastor in New York, and he said that there was a congregant who was walking through or walking through Central Park in New York, and and um, and this man walked up behind her and basically said, "Why don't you give me a massage?" and 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 then hit her husband was not too far, and so he also Asian and stood up to this uh, stood up to this man and said, "You need to stop it, you know, like like this is racist and this is wrong." And then he got 
attacked and had to, he ended up in the hospital mm. right for defending his wife. And so like even after something like Atlanta, you would think that people would be more sensitive towards Asian Americans, uh, not equating them with sex workers. And the majority of the victims in Atlanta were like middle-aged elderly women. And so like to even con- make that connection is, you know, is, is it follows a deeply uh, and a long-rooted history of, of uh, kind of uh, Asian stereotypes and Asian, anti-Asian racism, uh, where women were oftentimes perceived to be kind of a part of the sex industry and seductive and all this other stuff that led to their objectification and fetishization. You know, we've seen a, a ton of violence, you know, against against Asian Americans. I mean, children, under, a family was stabbed, uh, a, a Burmese family was, was stabbed outside of like, a, I think it was a Walmart or a Target, and then because they were perceived to be Chinese and the kids were under six years old, two of them, right? A two and a five-year-old, I believe, were, were stabbed. And so we have a host of kind of uh, anti-Asian uh, uh, hate that, that takes place. Uh, and it happened even before the pandemic, right? And so like when I was living in Koreatown in Los Angeles, you know, there were several instances of our elderly kind of grandmothers getting shoved to the ground. And when you're 80, 90 years old and you get shoved to the ground, it, you you can't recover in the same way. Your bones are gonna break. You're you're it, you're gonna you're you're gonna get wounded in ways that, you know, if you just scrape your knee as like a three year old or a five year old, it heals rather quickly. It doesn't happen the same way if you're elderly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, this is not new. It's 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 more new for a lot of people that are looking into our communities. But those of us who are on the ground have been kind of close to those who are more in the margins of our own communities. Know that this is not uncommon. But the whole piece about the invisibility, invisibility and exclusion, I think, is, is are pretty co- consistent themes throughout Asian American history, uh, and the ways in which we have been racialized and 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 that racism works against us. You know, the model minority myth contributes to us being invisible in plain sight, which is why there's something called the bam uh, the bamboo ceiling that you know that we're we're good at the best middle managers. We you know we we put our head down, we keep you know we keep quiet, we don't rock the boat, we work hard. And all of that you can trace back to um, uh, someone with the last name Peterson's article uh, that identified like biological traits and said that you know Asians are like these great minorities because of their biology. And he and and he said that there there's something in our genes and and that's why they're so good. And so if you've ever heard someone say, "Oh, you're so good at math," or "You're so good at science," or or like all Asians are smart or all Asians are this size X, Y, and Z. And it's a positive stereotype. You know, it's actually, an, it, it, it puts us in like, uh, it typecasts us into these narrow lanes that we, we, that we feel pressure to live up to, but also uh, feel like we can't break out of. Like, let's say, for example, if, you're, if we're an artist or whatnot. Uh, the other piece is we also, it becomes very difficult for our community to experience, like to seek out mental health. And so there's a lot of shame in, in seeking out mental health because there, these expectations are compounded upon uh, our communities. And so uh, even within the, among, in the pandemic, um, Asian Americans had the greatest mental health needs uh, of all the racial, uh, of all the racial groups. And, um, and so, and it becomes really difficult to encourage people to actually go and seek help when they need, when they need the help. But the model minority myth is ultimately problematic, not necessarily because it only keeps us in these like racialized cages that says that we have to perform and perform and perform in order to be accepted and then do it without complaining, even if we face injustice. But 
it's oftentimes used as, and it's primarily actually used as a way to push other communities of color down, right? So other racialized minority communities down. So it, it gives you the impression and the perception that, you know, that, that we're being celebrated, but it doesn't actually lift us up. It actually pushes other communities down. So it, it pushes those who are racialized as black and brown down uh, by saying, you need to be like Asians who basically don't rock the boat, you know, who accept their kind of their station in life, they don't complain about things and are willing to maintain the status quo. And that's not okay when you live in a racialized society that's uh, that's in contradiction to the kingdom of God as a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's there's the invisibility piece that we're kind of invisible in plain sight. The, the other piece is the exclusion, exclusion piece, which is kind of uh, the byproduct of the perpetual foreigner stereotype or the perpetual foreigner syndrome, which essentially says that no matter how many generations we're here in the United States, we're never American enough, right? So I know Asian Americans that have been here for seven generations, their families have been here for seven generations, and they still get treated as if they are not American, that they are foreigners, that they just came, they got, they were fresh off the boat. Uh, They just landed here just yesterday. Uh, And so they're asked, how do you speak English so well? Or, you know, where are you from? And then when they say I'm from San Francisco or New York or Chicago or L.A. or whatever, they say, no, 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 where are you really from? And 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 that's and and all of those things kind of play into our feelings of not belonging and feelings of exclusion. Yeah, it's, it's interesting as as we kind of um, talk through that, and, and as you've been as you share that, um, because we can see there are many different ways that racism can be perpetrated and in in encouraged even when people aren't necessarily recognizing it as racism which i think is very very important that's why i think a lot of these conversations are so so important to be having right now and um i would like ray if if we could talk a little bit about for for the church leaders for pastors uh what do you believe is the path forward here in the U.S. Um, and in the church to achieve true racial reconciliation, um, you know what 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 maybe have you seen that's encouraging, or thoughts or ideas that you have that we can really lean into this. And as you've said early in the beginning of this this conversation, what what you're hoping with the AACC is that you can help lead and guide uh, the country at large you know, in, in these directions. So what can we as the church be doing now? Yeah, uh, tongue in cheek, I want to say, just be like Jesus. Yeah, yeah if we right, were right. Like Jesus, <laughs> we would, and it's not actually tongue in cheek. I mean, if we embodied his humility and his self-sacrifice and his willingness to cross boundaries and borders and enter into spaces where the unwanted other resided, to give up power, to, you know, to, to actually live into the kenosis of Christ, right? He who had all things, who had all power, gave it all up so that he can dwell with us, right? And be with us. And then, um, and then ultimately atone for all of our sins and, 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 and be resurrected so that he can, um, you know, establish a new kingdom. If there was even that, like a basic humility, uh, a willingness to care for the one instead of protecting the interests of the comfortable 99. Um, I wonder what that would look like. And, and, and so there's, there's that piece. I also think that 
organizational culture, church culture, there, there's challenges to navigating those things, right? Because people become entrenched and, you know, like oftentimes, you know, people don't necessarily leave church because of theological differences. They generally leave church because of cultural and relational differences, right? They, they leave church because it doesn't suit their liturgical desires or it doesn't suit their worship style or it doesn't suit their preaching, you know, X, Y, and Z. I do wonder what it would look like if church leaders did one of two things. And this is what I generally do when I'm asked to be kind of speak at, at different churches and then kind of like consult with them or, or talk with organizations. I say, when was the last time you guys actually talked to the people who quietly left? Didn't want anything to do with your church uh, that, that slipped out the back door because even if they've been here for 10, 15 years, when was the last time you talked to those people and asked them why they actually left? Especially if you start seeing patterns that, oh, it seems like this type of person doesn't want to stay, if they, whether they're a racialized minority or, you know, they're 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 a female or or whatever. They they don't want to stay. Like, what is it about them that that led them to leave? And then what is it about your church that led them to leave? Um, because there's there's oftentimes a lot there that can help us to reflect and to change what needs to change so that we really become a, a gospel community that doesn't seem more like a country club, but that actually serves as a field hospital. Um, so that's one piece I would, I would say. And then the second piece I would say is uh, reach out to people that are in the, are from historically marginalized communities and say, what hinders you from fully entering into community here? and fully flourishing in this community and then fully being able to worship with us. Because one of the things I'm seeing more and more of in the research that I'm doing is that the, the environment, uh, the racial environment impacts the spiritual growth. And so, you know, a lot of churches, uh, especially if they're predominantly white or even multi-ethnic with white leadership, um, where the majority of the leaders are, the elders, are, are, are white and the majority of the pastors are white, is that there is a kind of cultural center to um, that that alienates other racial groups, and um, and shifting that cultural center is going to be really important as you as you try to embody the kingdom here in your local congregation context, um, especially if you care about the flourishing of all and the spiritual vitality of all your members. Right, uh, I've never seen anyone like jesus would not say oh they're not like yeah they believe in me but they're not a good fit here that's not that's the whole conversation of fit doesn't really work within the kingdom of god the kingdom you know the kingdom is far more expansive than a narrow cultural expression a narrow kind of racial commitment yeah that's 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 important i think to think from a kingdom perspective because oftentimes what happens is we you know and it it's it it kind of is what it is we're week in and week out you know leading a congregation um you know ministering those types of things and, and that gets um shaped to some degree by the community that we find ourselves in um by the, the by the people that are around us by the voices that we're listening to and oftentimes that shaping isn't isn't the kingdom, right? It is being shaped by these other influences. So I think it's so important, Ray, as you said, to, to allow that kind of the, the kingdom values um, to be that which is shaping and to, to step back 
and to to as you said even ask people questions who have who have left our our ministry you know our local congregations or or and to step back and and take that time to assess and and process a little bit which i know we're all all busy but but we need to take those times and carve out those times where we can process and assess have some of those deeper conversations and try to determine what is shaping us what is influencing us and if we're off course you know i mean if it isn't jesus like you said living like jesus being like jesus if it isn't the kingdom um then what are things that we can practically do to recalibrate um so we're in step with christ right yeah that's exactly right and i think the the more we are able to take a step back and and really like practicing sabbath you know like worship in your rest you know um knowing that you know like you you're a finite person that you you can only get so much done but there are are broader systemic and structural realities that, and cultural realities that you still have to contend with as a pastor. You can't, you, like, the, they're bringing all the stuff that they're experiencing in the world into your, into, into your, into your church. Yeah. If you have no answer for them, which is what a lot of my students are saying, like, our churches seem to have zero answers for all the vital divides that we're seeing, then they're going to look elsewhere for those answers, and yeah. though that elsewhere is usually not. A, not necessarily Christian, right? They're right, looking, right. Because, because the world is actually offering a, a more compelling uh, vision than kind of the neglected, neglectful pastor who just thinks that if you just preach the gospel, everything is going to be okay. Yeah, preach the gospel, but apply the expansive kingdom and the principles into the whole world. Don't just assume that, you know, like that the world doesn't shape us or make us ask questions that are different than what you experienced growing up and things like that. Yeah, it's so good. That's so good, right? Awesome, brother. Well, it's been so good to um, to talk with you, to, to hear your heart, and, and you provide a lot of lot of great insights. If if our listeners would like to connect with you um, or, or connect with, with your ministry more, what's, what's the best way they can do that, Ray? Yeah, uh, if you want to follow me on social media, my Twitter handle is at TweetRayChang. T-W-E-E-T-R-A-Y-C-H-A-N-G. My Instagram handle, I think, is RayChang502. And then um, our website is AsianAmericanChristianCollaborative.com or AAChristCollab.com. And then our social media handles. uh, We're on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn as AAChristCollab, E-H-R-I-S-T-C-O-L-L-A-B. And then on Facebook as well, Age American Christian Collaborative. And awesome. if you want to shoot me an email, you can shoot me an email at Raymond at AA Christ Collab. That's awesome. And we will have those links for our listeners in our show notes so you can you can find all of that and uh, follow up with, with Ray, learn more about uh, the ministry, the organization, all the things that uh, he and his colleagues are doing. So thank you again for making the time to be with us, Ray. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. It was good to hang out. Yeah, definitely. God bless you, brother. God bless you too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. Be sure to check out the other episodes in this series. You don't want to miss out on the full discussion. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any of our interviews. We'd appreciate it if you could take just a few moments to let us know your thoughts by leaving us a review on your preferred podcast platform or sending an email to podcast at churchleaders.com. Your positive reviews and ratings help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well and lead well. 
You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.